0: Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Someone has said the history of warfare is as old as the history of man. When you study history, you discover that there has never been a time when people haven't been fighting with one another, when people haven't been at war with one another. And the loss of life in these wars is absolutely amazing. In the 8th century in China, There was a rebellion known as the Lashun Rebellion. And in the 8th century, it resulted in approximately 35 million deaths. That was 15% of the world's population at that time. The, The Mongol conquest of the 13th and the 14th century resulted in between 30 and 60 million deaths. World War II that was fought during the middle part of the last century resulted in 50 to 70 million deaths. And today there are wars being fought almost every continent in the world. In Africa, the Middle East, in Europe, in Central Asia. Who knows the total number of people across the ages who have died, who have been killed through wars. But understand, Jesus told us that until He comes... There will be wars and there will be rumors of wars. You see, until the Prince of Peace comes, you and I will never experience perfect peace on this earth. But for the next several weeks, I want to talk to you about another war. A war that has resulted in more casualties than all the other wars combined throughout human history. A war that is behind all the pain, all the suffering, all the heartache that the world has ever felt. A war that that not only causes us to act like savages, but a war that causes us to live self-centered, self-absorbed lives. A war that results in in broken homes, battered women and children, violent acts, depression, disease, and a host of other things that, that make our life miserable. And yet, I am afraid that most of us are completely unaware that this war is taking place. We see the pain, we see the hurt, we see the despair that this war leaves in its wake, but we are oblivious to the war that is going on all around us. So instead of fighting the enemy, instead of seeing the enemy, all we see are the pawns the enemy uses, and all we see is the damage That the enemy does. Now, the war I'm talking about is a spiritual war that is fought against spiritual forces who have a clear objective. And their objective is to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy you. And listen, our lack of knowledge about spiritual warfare, about spirit life, and and how to battle these spiritual forces is perhaps our greatest weakness as believers and perhaps the greatest danger that we face as believers. You see, many of us assume that that once we give our lives to Jesus, victory is automatic. I mean, Jesus saved us. His Spirit lives within us. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Life should be easy. But it doesn't take long to realize that's not the case. You see, salvation isn't the end of the battle. In reality, salvation is the beginning of the battle. And that's why Ephesians 6 is so important to us today. Because it talks about this battle that we face. So let me give you a little bit of background. Because as you open up the book of Ephesians, the first thing that you discover in the first three chapters is who we are in Christ. And if we're going to ever experience true victory, we must understand who we are in Christ. And here's what Paul says. He says, we have been chosen by God. We have been saved by grace. We have been adopted into God's family. We have been sealed by the Spirit of God. We belong to His very own family. That's who we are in Christ. But as we move to chapter 4 through chapter 6, Paul moves from telling us how who we are in Christ to how we are to live in Christ. And Paul says a variety of things. He says that we are to live in unity as believers. He tells us that we are to serve using our spiritual gifts as believers. He, he tells us that we are to be pure not only in our deeds but, but in our words. He tells us how we are to live as husbands, as, as wives, as parents, and even as children. He tells us how to be good citizens in the world. But as he wraps up this book, as we get to verse 10 of chapter 6, it's as if Paul has, has chosen to leave the most important thing, Until the very last. Because he wants us to understand that we are in a war. We are in a battle. And that's how he wraps up this book. I want you to listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, as we jump into this study of spiritual warfare this morning, I want to start by giving you four foundational truths that we need to understand If we're ever going to experience regular victory in this battle, in this war that we face. So here's the first truth I want you to understand. All humanity is in this battle. This is a worldwide battle that affects everyone. No one is neutral. There are no Switzerland's in this battle. Every human being is involved in this war. Now, understand, you are either a captive or you are a combatant in this war. Let me say that again. You are either a captive or you are a combatant in this war. Now, Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're here this morning and you haven't been born again, you are a captive. Now, you may say, how can I say that? Well, I want you to listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. This is what it says. We know that we are the children of God. And listen to what it says. And all the rest of the world around us is under Satan's power and control. And so John breaks up the world into two camps and two categories. There is the children of God... And then there are those who are under Satan's power and under Satan's control. Now, if you aren't a believer, you may find that offensive. You may think that you are in control of your life. But Scripture says that until you surrender your life to Jesus, you are under Satan's control. Satan is controlling your life. Now, that doesn't mean that he is possessing you, though though that can happen what it means is that he is behind the scenes manipulating you and most likely, you don't even know it. Now, now how does he do that? Well, I'm going to show you my nerdy side to try to illustrate how he does that. Every Wednesday, I DVR a program that comes on at 8 o'clock. It's called The Arrow. I DVR it and, and then when I get home sometime later in the evening, I watch that show. That show is about this multi-millionaire named Oliver Queen who gets shipwrecked on a deserted island. And he is there for five years. Everyone assumes that he is dead, but he's not dead. And while he is on that island, he learns some incredible ninja-like skills. And when he finally returns to his city, Starling City, and he sees the corruption and the crime, he decides that, that he is going to be the guardian of, of the city. He is going to be the era, the the green era. Now, one of Oliver's main nemesis is a man named Malcolm Merlin. He's the father of Oliver's sister. Now, follow me. Malcolm drugs his daughter. She doesn't even know it, but he drugs her. And when she he drugs her, she is under his Influence. She is susceptible to what he says. And Malcolm gets his very own daughter to kill someone. She doesn't even know that she has killed that person. If she was in control of her mind, she would never do that. She would have never killed that person. But because she was drugged, She was under the control of Malcolm and Malcolm could get her to do anything he wanted her to do. Now listen, this is where it gets a little bit complicated and you need to follow me. There is something in our system that we are born with. It's much like a drug. The Bible calls it sin. And sin not only infects us. Sin makes us more susceptible to our enemy's control, to our enemy's manipulation. And because we are born with this, this sin defect, when Satan speaks to us through this world and through a variety of things, we are more susceptible to do what Satan wants us to do. And here's the thing. We don't even know that we are under his control. You see, our enemy today will let us do just about anything that we want to do so long as he is behind the scenes pulling the strings. He will even let us think that we are in control. He will allow us to fulfill our deepest fantasies. He will allow us to get involved in helping the world become a better place to live. He will even allow us to be religious so long as we never surrender our lives to Jesus' control. You see, some people have this idea that if Satan is in control of our life, that our life will be miserable. But that's not always the case. You see, the Bible says there is pleasure in sin. In other words, Satan will offer you your heart's desire to, As long as he can keep you under his control. Because if he can keep you a captive, if he can keep you under his control long enough, then he can have you and he can destroy you. Now some of us here are captives. We're under Satan's control and and we don't even know it. But then there are others of us who are combatants. You see, as Christians, we have been rescued from the enemy. We will not suffer his fate, but we are now involved in an all-out war. That's what that phrase tells us about. Our struggle. Some translations say wrestle. Some translations have fight. It's an all-out war. And it's time for for you and I to get serious about this war that we are fighting in. We don't need to sit back and, and wait for the enemy to attack us. It's time for us as Christians to take the battle to Him. You say, what are you talking about? Well, the Bible says that we are to storm the gates of hell. In other words, you and I are supposed to go on the offensive. We're not supposed to sit back and let Satan beat us half senseless. We're to go on the fence, defensive and offensive and set the captives free. It's time for us to fight against Satan. I heard about this football player, true story, football player who became a, an assistant coach scouting out talent for the coach. And the coach was sitting down with him and telling him what kind of talent he wanted this scout to look for in the high school ranks. And he said, you know, there, there are some players that when they're hit, They're knocked down and they stay down. And and his former player said, Coach, we don't want that kind of player, do we? He said, No, we don't want that kind of player. He said, But then there's that player that when he's hit, he gets back up and he's hit again, but then he stays down. And his scout said, Coach, we don't want that kind of player either, do we? He said, No, we don't want that kind of player either. He said, But then you've got this player that when he's hit He gets up. And when he's hit, he gets up. And when he's hit, he gets up. And he keeps on getting up. And the scout said, Coach, that's the kind of player we want, isn't it? He said, No. We want to find that guy that's knocking them down. We want him on our team. And let me tell you, that's the kind of Christian that God wants us to be. He doesn't want us to sit back and just take all the punches that Satan throws at us. He wants us to realize that we're in an all-out war, but we don't have to sit back on the defensive. We can go on the offensive and we can knock Satan down. You see, when you get saved, God not only puts salvation in your heart, God puts a sword in your hand. That's why Paul said when he came to the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. That's why Paul told his son in the ministry, Timothy, fight. The good fight of faith. And then he said this, As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, endure your share of suffering. He wanted Timothy to know, this is a battle. This is an all-out war. And be prepared for it. And so understand, all humanity is in the battle. You are either a captive or you're a combatant. And if you're a combatant, let me encourage you to go on the offensive. Secondly, our enemy, Our enemy is the devil and his well-organized army. Now, notice what Paul says. He says, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness. General Douglas MacArthur was one of our great military leaders. And he wrote an article entitled Requisites for Military Success. And in that, he gave four pillars that you need if we're going to have military success. And this is what he said. He said, first, there must be morale. The fighting force must have good morale. They must have a will to win. When you don't have a will to win, you're never going to win. Secondly, he said there must be strength. The soldiers must have adequate training and they must be equipped for the job. And then third, he said, there must be an adequate source of supply. The lifelines must be kept open so the people on the front lines can get the food and the equipment that they need. But then he said this. He said, by far the most important principle to winning in war is this. A knowledge of your enemy. Here's what MacArthur wrote. He said, the greater the knowledge of the enemy, the greater the potential of victory. Let me say that again. The greater the knowledge of the enemy, the greater the potential for victory. Now let me tell you about our enemy. First of all, our enemy is real. There are some people that believe that that the devil is, is a fairy tale. He's a mythical creature that's made up to keep us in line. But let me tell you, the devil is a real being he's not a fantasy he's not a fairy tale he's not a mythical creature whenever i hear people say they don't believe the devil is real i'm reminded of this story about this fighter who was in a fight and and he was getting the living daylights beat out of him and every time he would come back to his corner and he would sit on the stool his manager would go go get him tiger he hasn't laid a hand on you And every time he would come back at the end of the round, he was more black and blue. He was more beat up. And the manager would say, go get him, tiger. He's not laying a hand on you. Finally, at the end of the eighth round, he was sitting on his stool. His eyes were almost closed and puffy. His lip was cut. He was bleeding from his nose. And his manager said, go get him, tiger. He hasn't laid a hand on you. And the fighter looked at his manager and said, well, I want you to keep an eye on that referee then because somebody's beating the daylights out of me. (laughs) Let me tell you, we have a real enemy that really does want to beat the daylights out of you. He wants to destroy you. The Bible talks about the devil 175 times. He's called by many names, the devil, Satan, the god of this world, the prince of darkness, Lucifer, Beelzebub. The serpent of old, that old dragon, a roaring lion. He's called by many names, but he's still the same person, our enemy. And where does he come from? Some people have the idea that that the devil has existed for all eternity, kind of like God has. You know, they are the yin and the yang. God is the good force, Satan is the evil force of the universe. And they both have coexisted, but that's not what the Bible says. You see, the Bible doesn't teach that Satan is an eternal being. The Bible teaches that Satan is a created being. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 17. Because in this passage of Scripture, we we are told a little bit of the origin story of Satan. In Ezekiel 28, we're told a story about the, the ruler of Tyrus. A literal, physical ruler who was an evil man. But when we get to verse 11, it becomes obvious that that we're no longer talking about a mortal human being. We're talking about a power that is behind that mortal human being. I want you to listen to what it says in Ezekiel 28. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a layman against the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you: ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, sapphire, turquoise, beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before the kings. Now in verses 13 through 15, we are told that this person was created. But notice his description. The Bible says that he was perfect. He was full of wisdom. He was perfect in wisdom. He he was the anointed guardian cherub. Many feel like that, that this was the crown of the angelic creation, the most powerful of all of the angels. In Isaiah 14 we're told his name. And his name was Lucifer. The, the son of the morning. Now some picture Satan. In this red suit with horns and a pitchfork, fork. But that's not what Satan looks like. See the Bible says that he is a beautiful being. That's how he entices us. Many believe that, that when we look at verse 15. That, that word if you've got the NIV. Settings and mountings. Many believe that those words describe musical instruments. Many say that Satan was the leader of worship in heaven. Now, there are some that say music is the language of the heart. And music does speak to us on the inside, doesn't it? And so, in other words, Satan is not only beautiful and he can entice us with his beauty, he knows how to woo us. He knows how to charm us. So here's Satan. He is a created, powerful, intelligent, beautiful being. But he's created. He's not God. But he wants to be God. You see, it's not enough for him to worship God. It's not enough for him to lead worship of God. As he looks at God, he begins to to desire what God has. He begins to desire to sit on the throne of God. And so he rebels against God and he becomes corrupted. Notice what it says in verse 17. Your heart became proud because of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom. Verse 15 says you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Now an in-depth description of what happened to Lucifer is found in Isaiah 14. I want you to listen to what it says. This is found in verses 12 through 15. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stores of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mount. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. But You were brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. God created him perfect in every way. But Satan wasn't content to be created perfect. He wasn't content to be the worshiper. He wanted to be worshipped. So he tried to take God's place. He rebelled against God. You see, God created the angels with a free will, just like God creates us with a free will. And when pride entered his heart and he felt like that he could take on the creator, he rebelled against God because of the pride. You say, how could someone who was created by God, who saw God in all his splendor, in all his majesty, rebel against God? And I can tell you very simply, the answer is pride. Pride enters our heart and we want to be in control. I mean, that's the reason why we rebel against God today. We want to do our thing rather than God's thing. But listen, you can't fight against God. It's futile. God is sovereign. God is in control. The Bible says He is Elohim. He is the all-powerful God, the creator of heaven and earth. He created everything out of nothing. Before there was anything, there was God. Here was a created being thinking he could rebel against the creator. And so he was cast down from heaven. He was thrown from heaven, removed from God's presence. And he is awaiting his eternal punishment. And because of that, Satan hates God. And because of that, Satan hates you. Because the Bible says you were created in the image of God. The Bible tells us that we, human beings, are the crown of God's creation. And he hates you. And he wants to destroy you. Uh, Look back at verse 13 in Ezekiel 28. Did you catch that phrase? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, we know that that an earthly king that was living in that day could have not been in Eden because when Adam and Eve sinned, Eden was closed off from mankind. So whoever Ezekiel is speaking of, he's speaking of someone that is not a human being. He's speaking of someone who was created before the fall of man. He's talking about Satan. And he tells us how Satan was in Eden. And we know how he tempted Adam and Eve. He came as that subtle serpent. And we're not going to talk about that today because we're going to deal with Satan's tactics, his strategies next week. But understand, Satan's desire is to tempt us to rebel against God. Satan's desire is to fill our hearts with pride because if he can do that, he can get control of us and he can destroy us. Jesus said it this way. He said, the thief, Satan, has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. Peter said that Satan is a roaring lion looking for whoever he can devour. Now listen carefully. Regardless of how our enemy packages temptations and deceptions, his desire is to destroy you. And and, and he doesn't work alone. We've got to hit this quickly, but, but our enemy has an army working with him. According to, to Revelation twelve four. One-third of the angels in heaven rebelled with Satan against God. Jesus told us that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. Throughout the Old Testament, we are told that whenever people worship false gods, they were literally worshipping demons. In the New Testament, we're told of people being possessed by demons. And we see Jesus and Jesus' followers casting out demons. These demons are spiritual beings, angels, who have fallen from their place and now they are the army of Satan. You see, Satan isn't omnipresent. In other words, Satan can't be in your space and in my space at the same time. God can. God is omnipresent. God is beyond time and space and matter. But Satan isn't. Satan is a being who cannot be more than one place at a time. And so understand, I want you to hear me. You know, when, when we say, man, Satan is really attacking me today? Probably not. His forces are attacking us. But can I tell you, there's probably none of us in this room that has done so much for the kingdom of God that Satan is in our space. But he does have other people in our space. He has demons who are in our space trying to tempt us, trying to cause us to fall, trying to get us to, to come under the power of Satan. Paul calls these principalities and rulers and authorities and, and powers and spiritual forces. These demons can, can come into to people and possess them or they can come upon believers and, and oppress them. I believe with all my heart that that when we read in Ephesians 6, we're we're talking about demons who have authority over people and and over cities and over nations and, and over areas of culture. You see, Satan has a highly organized army. Now let me give you some quick bullet points before we move on and we try to wrap this up. Satan is wise, but he's not omniscient. In other words, he doesn't know everything. Let me give you one thing I don't think Satan knows. Satan doesn't know your thoughts. Satan can observe your patterns. Satan's army can observe your patterns, your habits, your behavior. And from that, he can ascertain things that we think about. But he is not able to get into our heads unless we invite him in. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Satan is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. He is I believe, the most powerful created angel. And he is more powerful than any of us in our own power. But he is not all powerful. He he is nothing compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be all places at once. So he uses his army to fight for him. Satan is not sovereign. In other words, he doesn't have all power. Satan cannot do anything unless God allows him to do it. And that's confusing for us at times, but we see that in the story of Job. Do you remember that story? Satan came before God and God said, do you see my servant Job? And and he's, he's a righteous man, blameless in his ways. And Satan said, well, you let me have a try at him and he won't be righteous and blameless. And God gave him permission to do certain things to Job. Understand, God is sovereign. Satan is not. So we see Satan. The third truth I want you to see is this. The battle is fought in the spiritual realm. The scripture says it is fought in the heavenly places. Paul uses that phrase five times in Ephesians, and each time it's referring to the spiritual realm. You see, our battle is not against flesh and blood. The real battle... Is fought in a spiritual realm. Whatever is going on in the visible realm that we see with our physical eyes is rooted in the invisible spiritual realm. Now our problem is, we usually try to fix things in the physical realm using physical methods, but we need to understand that's not where the problem originates. And so if we are trying to fix a physical problem, all we are doing is treating the symptom. We're not treating the infection itself. If we want to get to the root of the problem, we don't battle the physical problem. We battle the spiritual problem behind the physical problem. We see that in Daniel chapter 10. In that story, Daniel was praying. He's, he's asking God for an answer And 21 days later, an angel comes and gives him the answer. And this is what the angel says, because Daniel is praying and fasting during this time. He never stops praying and and going to God. And the angel says to Daniel, I would have answered sooner, but the prince of Persia fought against me. And if it were not for Michael the archangel coming to my defense, I still might not be here. There was a battle being fought in the unseen realm between an angel of God and a demon of Satan to answer this prayer. You say, that's wild. That is wild. But you need to understand, when you leave this building today... You will be entering into a battlefield where there are unseen forces waging war. And as we look out, we see the results of the war. We see terrorism. We, we see pornography. We see addictions. We see um, sex slave traffickers. We see all of that. And all too often, we try to fight what we see in the physical realm. When we need to be spending more time battling in the spiritual realm. Because that's where the battles are won and lost. That's why Paul said it this way. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, that is, we're physical, we're flesh and blood. We do not war according to the flesh. We don't use fleshly weapons to fight a physical Battle. So the battle we're fighting is being fought in the spiritual realm. But I want to close with this point, And that is this. This is, this is perhaps the most important. We are fighting from victory, not for victory. You see, some of us believe that we've got to fight to win when in reality we need to understand that the battle has already been won. Go back to verse 10 in Ephesians 6. Notice what it says. It says, Be strong, what? In the Lord. And in the power of what? His might. Now, now why did Paul say we need to be strong in the Lord? We need to be strong in the power of His might. Because it's not about your power. It's about His power. It's not about what you can do. It's about what He has already done. I want you to listen to this verse. I want you to write it down. And I want you to go and study and meditate on this verse. Colossians 2.15. Listen to what it says. God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority. With the cross, he won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless. God stripped them of their authority. With the cross, he won the victory and showed the world that they are powerless. In other words, the picture here... Is of God parading the spiritual forces of darkness behind him, and he has won the victory. Listen, when we are with Jesus, we have won the victory. And if you're not experiencing the victory, it's not because the victory hasn't been won. It's because you are not living in that victory. You don't have to live a defeated life as a believer. You don't have to give in to addictions. You don't have to fall to adultery. You don't have to get caught up with the pornography. You don't have to let any of these things of the world overcome you. Listen, listen to me. Depression doesn't have to get the best of you. Because greater is he that is in us. Than he that is in the world. The victory has been won. The question is. Are we living. In the victory. Now. now, Here's what we need to ask ourselves. As we close. Whose kingdom are you in? The, The title of this series is. Kingdoms in conflict. Remember 1 John 5. You're either a child of God. Or you're under the power and the control. Of Satan. You're either in the kingdom of God or you're a part of the kingdom of darkness. Whose kingdom are you in? I want you to listen to what it says in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, and and then verses 21 and 22. For He, Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This includes you who are once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence and you are holy and blameless As you stand before Him without a single fault. You see, through Jesus, we who were once in the kingdom of darkness have been transferred into the kingdom of light. We who were once enemies of Christ have now become the family of God. Listen, you don't have to be a captive You don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to be an enemy anymore. Jesus has won the victory. The question is, will you accept the victory He can give? I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to ask two simple questions. One, are you a captive? Is Satan controlling your life? pulling the strings, manipulating you, you may not even know it, but because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you're a captive and He is behind the scenes controlling your life. If you're a captive, then I want to plead with you today. Get set free. You will know the truth and the truth can set you free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you will humble yourself before Jesus, acknowledge you need Him, turn from your sin, and ask Jesus to save you. He'll save you. He'll fill you with His Spirit. He will adopt you into His family. You will become a part of His very own family. Humble yourself. Acknowledge your sin. Ask Jesus to save you, set you free. Give Him your life. If you're here this morning you need to do that, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Dear God, I know I am a sinner. I have lived my life my way. Just like Satan, I wanted to be in control. Forgive me. I know that I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross and defeated Satan. And right here, I'm giving my life to Him. Come in, Jesus. Take control. Fill me with your Spirit, I pray. Amen. Now, with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. Some of you aren't captives. You're, you're combatants. But you, you've been in the barracks. You've been fearful to get involved in, in the war. And it's time for you to take the war to Satan. It's time to realize that you've won the victory and we need to go out and battle from victory, not far victory. And so I want to ask you right now to make that commitment. Right here, right now, to, to get involved in the battle, to set captives free. Make that commitment. You can pray this prayer. Lord, I know I'm in a battle. I know I'm fighting against Satan. The powers of darkness. But I know greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. I know that when Jesus died on the cross, He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. He stripped Him of all His authority. And He has no power over us unless we give Him that power. So, Father God, I pray that You will fill me empower me and use me to set captives free. To storm the gates of hell. And change the world. Amen. Well at this time we're going to continue to worship. And we're going to worship through through giving. We're going to worship through singing. And I want to pray because there is nothing. There is nothing as a believer that is any greater of a privilege than than you and I have the privilege of giving. So let me pray. Lord God, as we give today, use our gifts to bring glory and honor to your name. Father, I pray that you will use what we give to not only touch a lost and hurting world, but Father, I pray that you'll use what we give to, to grow our faith. I pray, Lord, we'll not only be obedient givers, but Father, I pray that we will be radical givers.